This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game Podcast. you got your host here, Justin Townsend, and uh, we've got some very special guests on today. Uh, we've got a little bit of a kind of a hot news piece I think we want to talk about, which is a little uh, out of the ordinary for us, but we thought it a really cool point to chat with these fellas and, and get their story and, and help kind of push us out the world, because something that just doesn't doesn't sit right uh, with us, and so we want the chance to always talk about wild food, uh, talk about getting into hunting, and of course, uh, talk a little bit about their story and, and some things going on up in, uh, in Pennsylvania. So... Uh, first off, we'll we'll take care of a little admin work. Probably the biggest news for me is is uh, I finally got the direction and uh, pulling chocks out of Key West and, and heading up to Colorado here this summer. So that will be a uh, a, a big news item for us. Uh, so look for some cool adventures coming from that neck of the woods. We'll be trying to get in a lot of uh, fly fishing and spear fishing before I head up to that part of the world. But um, we'll see how it goes, and and I know I'm excited for some new adventures to come. Uh, outside of that, turkey season's coming up, looking at doing some work with some of our partners on some projects up in central Florida, out in Oregon to do, uh, some turkey. And then, um, outside of that spring bear coming up in Oregon still, I keep talking about it and it's like, feels like it's very far away, but it's getting closer. So, uh, excited for those big news items. Corey, what about you? What do you got going on in your neck of the woods? Well, we're coming into trout season and turkey season as well so we actually took the family out today to help help the pennsylvania fish commission stock a local stream so we had fun doing that today and uh you know 
got out the other day scouting out for some turkeys and you know walked through the woods didn't see anything and then on the drive home a nice gobbler ran across the road in front of me (laughs) of course that's how it always goes right (laughs) uh cool so ice is gone in that neck of the woods oh yeah It, it was 70 degrees today 70 wow that's almost close here uh it was actually it was in the 80s today but the past week it's been down in the in the 60s i know you guys are all uh, laughing at me but it's it was cool for us but uh i see cooler temperatures in my forecast for sure uh next winter and then i have a feeling that's going to motivate me probably even more as i build tolerance to the cold weather to go up and and visit Corey for some uh late season flintlock next year yes absolutely so um let's see here so those are our updates so we got a hat giveaway so as as everybody knows we do a, a hat giveaway so if if you go to our um whatever podcast platform you're listening to or over on the show notes and you leave us a review and uh it's a solid solid review with written text that's the big caveat is uh is the we will then select one of our our favorites and uh read them on the air and then you claim you claim that podcast review and uh shoot us an email what's cooking at harvestingnature.com to go back to our review here, so uh, just send us an email over at what's cooking at harvestingnature.com. Let us know which hat you like off the website if this is your review, and we will get it in the mail to you. So this was a review from the USA. Uh, it says, this is wonderful is the title, and it says, this podcast is transportive storytelling at its finest. I really enjoyed episode 313. It's a wonderful story about a family, two-legged and four-legged, and hunting waterfowl without a dog. So thank you for that five-star review, and thanks for the support. Shoot us an email, what's cooking at harvestingnature.com, to, uh, to claim your hat. So uh, with that said, uh, Corey, what's, was, what's going on in the world of adventures for food? I think that review was referring to an Adventures for Food podcast. It was, yeah. Was it not? To uh, it John was, Viles. Uh, episode. Per- perfect segue. How to hunt, uh, how to hunt deer, or how to hunt deer. Oh my gosh, how to hunt ducks without a dog. I think is the title. We'll say yes. Yes. Um, retrieving ducks without dogs. Yep. Retrieving ducks. Retrieving without ducks dogs. without yes. dogs. There we go. Perfect segue into our adventures for food podcast. So make sure you're listening to those. Come out every Sunday or every other Sunday. And I invite any listeners out there to email us at what's cooking at harvestingnature.com to uh, tell us your story and, and get on the air with us. Nice. Um, well, also, too, we've got the uh, Facebook community page. So that's over on Facebook, obviously. And it's uh, you can scroll down the show notes to get the link for that or go search in your Facebook app or Facebook web page and look for the wild fishing game community. So that's where you get the chance to interact with us sort of one-to-one uh, more with the crew, more with those other individuals in the community. Uh, we, we discuss some podcast topics, uh, future stuff like that, uh, share recipes. There's a ton of that. If you have any questions about cooking things or uh, all that jazz, that's a, a great place to do it. And I think it, it provides more of an interaction point than the regular Facebook page, which, which is pretty cool. So, 
So, Corey, you got any, any other admin stuff you want to talk about? Uh, just, I just wanted to maybe mention how this podcast came to fruition. Um, I think I was scrolling through Facebook, and I came across an article uh, on phillymag.com about the issue that our current guests are having, and I really, really wanted to talk to them about it. So I reached out, and they, and they got right back to me, and we got this all put together in less than a week. And so, so I'm, I'm anxious to talk to them about this because I think, I think what they're doing is great. I think what's, what's happening to them is terrible. And I think they are what, you know, what we're trying to do. What they're doing is exactly what, what we want our listeners to do. Like they're, they're venturing out into hunting. They don't, they're just learning and they're using all the resources that they can. But so. Uh, I'm excited to talk to him today. All right. Well, let me introduce uh, let me introduce the guests here. So our guests today are graduate students at the University of Pennsylvania. They are new to hunting and in an effort to learn more about hunting and to develop connection to their food, they've tried to establish a hunting club at the university. The goal of the club is to promote sustainable conservation, marksmanship, and ethical hunting practices through education and training. However, the university has continued to delay or deny their application, and this has gotten the attention of national and regional publications, the NRA, and other civil rights organizations. They are now working with an organization that helps defend and sustain the individual rights of students and faculty members at America's colleges and universities. This, uh, this organization is the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, also known as FIRE by their acronym. So joining us today are the founding members of the Penn Hunting Club, Chris, Christoph, and Alex. Welcome to the Harvest in Nature podcast. It's Great a pleasure to be on. Yeah. Thanks very much. It's awesome to have you guys here, and, and we're excited to talk a little bit more about this story and, uh, uh, you know, learn about you guys and learn about your story as well. But uh, like I was telling you at the beginning of the show, this is something that I think that's uh, really important and, and something I, I want to make sure that people are tracking because, you know, like Corey says, it this is uh, it relates to us in a whole is, is the hunting, excuse me, the hunting community. And it also, you know, it's something that we should take a stand for because it doesn't seem doesn't seem at all right. So, so with that said, uh, let's start with you, Christoph. If you could tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, kind of what got you into the world of uh, of hunting, and then and then we'll start we'll start uh, getting to know you a little better, and the others, and then we'll we'll go into the main meat of the show after that. So uh, I started uh, coming. So I, I was born in New Jersey, right outside of New York City, uh, Bergen County, small town called Wallington is where I grew up there. Uh, then I went to school in Rutgers, New Brunswick, down in uh, Central Jersey area, uh, before coming over to Philadelphia. And I had never hunted in the past. Uh, still remember the first time I went shooting, you know, I just heard some gunshots off in the distance. And uh, the girl I was with at the time and I kind of walked over and we saw that there was skeet shooting available and it was awesome. And, you know, it was a long time between then and, and the next time that I went and then a long time again. But, uh, you know, when Chris over here is, uh, who will be introduced uh, later, you know, he kind of got me into all this. You know, he had an interest and he wanted to start something, you know, try something new. And I was like, you know, that something I always wanted to do, something I hadn't done up to that point. And it was something I was more than excited to do at the time. 
And, uh, you know, if, if I tell you the story of the first time we got a squirrel, you'd think we caught the Chupacabra or the Yeti, you know, it's just <laughs> <laughs> getting out there and all the time you spend getting ready and finally like getting something after, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of work put into it. It's, uh, it's more excitement than uh, I would have expected. And it was uh, the most delicious thing I ate <laughs> of the time. Uh, and I have to say, well, you know, uh, the best way, and, and this is truly uh, Ivy League's jokes are welcome because this is the bougiest squirrel recipe. <laughs> uh, you know, you need to take an air fryer, you know, a little bit of Himalayan sea salt, any salt will do really, uh, a little bit of fresh cracked pepper on that, and it's just the best. You know, it's just the best. Keep it simple, eat the meat, it's perfect. Um, so so, was, so when you're make when you're making this in the air fryer sorry I'm going to ask is it like a battered yeah. squirrel I've never so full caveat I've never used an air fryer I don't I'm not familiar with it but uh, <laughs> eager to learn uh so in the air fryer is it like battered or just like roasted We just added on a little bit of salt and pepper so that oh, was nice. all you needed and then you just yeah, yeah. It, it was a small air fryer but it was a small it was a small game so it worked <laughs> Perfect. And we just placed it inside, and it was just so juicy coming out afterwards. You know, everybody says everything tastes like chicken, but yeah, you know, it was it was like a juicy, delicious, you know, animal. <laughs> and it's not what I expected from squirrel. You know, I had never eaten squirrel before, and I was like, this mm-hmm. is amazing. You just wish there was more. <laughs> so, uh, so going going back to the squirrel hunt itself, what what uh what what kind of squirrel was it? Red squirrel, uh, gray. Squirrel. I think it was gray squirrel was the first one we got. That's uh, the most of the ones that you see around the area. So, uh, but you know, getting it down was just like, you know, you had to corner the thing. It was, it was a whole adventure. <laughs> I still remember looking up in the tree, seeing it poke around and being like, all right, now I've got it. <laughs> First step, boom, finding it. So nice. Um, all right. Well, thanks for sharing uh, a little bit about you. We're going to come back. I do want to talk more about the squirrel hunting story, but I, I want to get on, get onto the other guys here. So Chris, uh, if you could share a little bit about yourself and, and what how you got into hunting and, and involvement with the Hunt Club. Oh, sure. Uh, so I'm Chris. I'm from Seattle, Washington originally, actually. And I didn't grow up hunting. I kind of grew up doing fishing and gardening. So my parents lived in a typical suburban, suburban house. We grew up a lot of like plants, vegetables. We still have a cherry tree that's kind of alive, kind of not really. It depends, but hopefully it makes it through the season. And fishing was something that was a constant through my childhood. So we didn't do too much trout or salmon or like perch or any of those other fish. We did a lot of squidding off the docks in Seattle. So you would literally go to a dock, sometimes it's next to a restaurant, sometimes in kind of like in a dingy, like dark, distant pier. And you drop a line from a, a squid jig and you see if you can jig up any squid. So, so what what does a squid jig jig look like for those that uh, I I don't know I don't think I've seen one and and I don't know many people that maybe have. Okay, so a squid jig has a fluorescent or glowing section at the top that leads down about two three inches, and at the bottom there are a bunch of spikes that point upwards. So the point of a squid jig is that the glowing section kind of looks like the bioluminescent portion of a squid. And you move the squid jig in such a way that it mimics what a squid would look like in real life. Mm-hmm. Huh. So the squid sees like this glowing bobbing thing that's going up and down, up and down like a squid. And it tries to mate with it. Like it literally like wraps its tentacles around it. And when you feel it on the line, you jerk up. 
and that kind of like traps the squid and you keep reeling until the squid breaks to the surface of the water. So another squid is trying to mate with the jig, which it's think this is like a this is like a dirty trick if you're yeah, the squid. It's dirty. <laughs> but it's very effective too. So Yeah, I mean if it yeah. works, it works. I just <laughs> It's a low blow to be sure, but you know what? Hey, uh, you're so, you're pretending to be a hen when you're turkey hunting, trying to call in those yeah, gobblers. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you see the videos of like the gobbler coming in and like a uh, you know trying to mate with the decoy and then getting shot. So it's no different. It's just <laughs> when you throw start Seems throwing spikes dirty. and other things out there. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's different. No, but that's uh, uh, I've seen a couple of those videos. I think, on. It's, I, I think it's it's definitely awesome. That's cool. Um, what after you catch the squid? Uh, what's what's your primary way of or favorite way to cook it? I think that the favorite way that we like to eat it is raw. So you just like wash it a little, you add in like sriracha sauce or like soy sauce, and you eat it that way. Oh, nice! Because if you go fit squid jigging every weekend or just quite frankly every weeknight that mm-hmm. you can then you always have a supply of fresh squid. You don't really have to, like, save it for later. So I think raw is probably the best. We also have done, like, frying it a bit. Like, you add in, like, bread batter, you fry it in oil, and you eat it with sriracha sauce. That's Mm -hmm. great, too. And I think those are my two favorite recipes. As to what's better than one... As to, like, whether one is better than the other, I really can't say. It really depends on, like, how I'm feeling at the time. Nice. But, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. They're both great. Cool. Um, so as far as getting the fishing, how did you get involved in hunting then? So I started doing a bit of target shooting once I left the University of Washington. Uh, I bought a Model 41. Kind of expensive, but it was well worth the purchase. And I just mm-hmm. used that for about two years. Nice. And I thought... You know, I've tried doing my own gardening, and I've tried doing my own fishing. And the last thing that I wanted to really do was, like, really understand, like, what it means to eat meat. Like, I enjoy a burger just as much as, like, anyone else in the United States. But I kind of wanted to, like, internalize, like, what exactly it means to take an animal, kill it, and then eat its body in terms of what that means for, like, my personal ethics. Yeah. And combining shooting with this particular endeavor seemed like a natural first step towards this goal. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um and I'll ask you guys this and I don't know I don't know your story yet, Alex. Actually, you know what? I'll save this question till Yeah, till, it's fine. <laughs> till till I hear yours. Um but so uh I, I got a follow up question for you both and I'm gonna I'm gonna or all three of you I'm gonna hit you with in just a second. But Alex, uh if you go ahead and sh- please share with us your story uh and how, how you got in where are you from and how you got into the, the, the outdoor world. Yeah, so um I also grew up in New Jersey, southern New Jersey, kinda right outside Philadelphia here. Um and uh yeah, my kind of first introduction to the outdoor world was through the scouts uh growing up. So we did, you know, plenty of backpacking trips and, you know, summer camps that were just a blast being away from home for a week with, you know, all your friends and everything like that. Um, and, you know, the winter camping trips where you'd spend most of the time just sitting playing cards in your sleeping bag and stuff like that, too. 
Um, but the favorite trip was definitely um, when we got to work on, you know, riflery and shooting merit badge and uh, go for go and use some, you know, shotguns for some clay shooting um, to meet some of those requirements. And then just the like 22 rifles for um, target practice at 25 yards and everything. Um, and that was a trip that, you know, everybody really looked forward to growing up. Um, and a big part of that trip too, actually just, you know, since we're on a podcast to talk about food and everything is, um, that we would do a full, um, pig roast. Um, we had like a, a smoker that the troop had and we'd like drag out to this site and we'd get like a full pig, uh, and, and get it in the smoker and, um, spend a lot of time like peeling some potatoes and making some like coleslaw and like side dishes and stuff to go. And uh, we did some upside down cake and uh, peach cobbler and some Dutch ovens and things like that. Um, so yeah, that was just a trip that all of us really looked forward to both, you know, to get some experience with shooting and everything. Um, obviously, you know, none of the, the food was hunted or anything, but there was a big kind of like cooking aspect to that too. Um, and then, yeah, I've kind of been, you know, involved with like hiking trips and, and general outdoorsy kind of things since then, just like camping and stuff with friends. But um, when Chris and Christoph had approached uh, me about uh, going deer hunting uh, one winter, probably, I guess, you know, two years ago now, um, I, I really jumped at the opportunity because it's always something I really wanted to do, but just had, you know, none of my own equipment none of none of the real background for it and anything. So I was super happy to, you know, draw on some, of uh, some of their experience and, uh, and get out and check it out to enjoy the outdoors and, um, also have the potential reward of, of some food that you harvest at the end of it. Nice. That's awesome. So, uh, in, in thinking about all of this and, and sort of, uh, as I learn a little bit more about you all. So you, what, I guess what was the point, and and Chris, you kind of alluded to it, like, hey, I want to tie the tie the knot between you know food. I've fished, I've I've gardened, I've done this, but like, what really was like that moment? You're like, you know what, I want to hunt, and uh, you know, feel free to jump in whatever order you guys want. But uh, I, I'm really curious because a lot of people people are introduced by food, they're introduced by somebody they know of, like, hey, let's go out, I'll take you hunting, but here you know for the most part i I see each of you that never never hunted before and then all of a sudden we're like i want to do it and uh (laughs) i'm i'm really curious as to how that that played about yeah i i can go i mean i i I, i've always thought it's just sort of a an ethical way to eat so um you know it's it's if, if you're going out deer hunting for like venison or something like that, or, you know, even squirrel for, you know, a smaller meal or something, it's an animal that's, you know, out there in nature going about its, you know, normal everyday life. Uh, and you know, if, if I'm going to, you know, everybody's got to eat. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can go to the grocery store and get yourself, you know, a burger that came from some farm someplace with, you know, a bunch of livestock that are raised up and everything, or you can go into the animal's environment um, and try and walk away with something and kind of, you know, test yourself to see if you have, you know, the skill to, to develop the skills to, you know, ethically, you know, kill an animal, um, good shot, a good clean shot. Um, and yeah, to have that, the final result be something that you can, you know, eat and use to sustain yourself. Uh, that's always been 
a draw for me and I really haven't had, I guess, the means to be able to do it until, you know, I started hanging out with these guys. Nice. Yeah, so for me, I think it dates back to AP Environmental Science from high school, actually. So nice. nice. We were talking about climate emissions and carbon dioxide emissions and global warming in general. And the teacher brought up various methods as to how people in their own private capacities could reduce that. And a lot of students brought up a bunch of suggestions, most of which you probably heard. But one of the students there, I don't remember who he was, brought up hunting in terms of harvesting your own meat. Because as he put it, it was the most ethically sustainable way to get meat that produced the least, least carbon emissions. And I was just sitting there thinking like, huh, you know what? That guy has a good point. So I didn't act on this for a while. And I read a bunch more stuff on like factory farming, how animals are treated in typical slaughterhouses, mm -hmm. as well as ranches. And I just couldn't get it out of my head that when it comes right down to it, an animal that lives its prime in the wild, lives a full, complete life, and then dies effectively of like a heart attack in 20 seconds, probably lives a more enriching and fulfilling life than an animal that lives cooped up in like a slaughterhouse somewhere, that <laughs> lives cooped up in like a meat, meat factory somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And, I that. yeah. Yes. So that, like, I still eat burgers from all those, all those different more pragmatic places that process meat in such a way. But I've always thought that this is something that I want to do because I want to see if this is something that I, I can do in terms of my own personal ethics. That's cool. And, and what about you, Christoph? Yeah, well, I guess in that same vein, you know, to emphasize that point, you know, I've gone out hunting with someone who's otherwise a vegetarian, but, you know, she'll eat the meat she harvests. And, you know, that's that's not something people think about you know, front and center when they first think about hunting, you know, the, the ethical perspective that people have for it can be, you know, limiting because of how animals are treated otherwise. And I think, you know, going through the full process and knowing that, you know, an animal needed to die for you to be able to appreciate and enjoy your meal and for you to do it yourself rather than expecting someone else to do the, uh, the, the killing, the processing, mm -hmm. the butchering, everything for you. To go through that whole process yourself and prepare the meat, you know, I think uh, I think it's a new experience that I hadn't gotten to live through before. And again, something that was always back of my mind, but definitely came front of mind when you know I got with this group here with Chris and Alex and was able to get out there. Yes, like meat from a factor, meat from a supermarket just comes prepackaged. You can't even tell like what it, what it came from. You know, yeah, I, I've said it, I you know, time and time again, and, and it's there's a big disconnect. You know, you go and you buy a piece of meat at the store, and it's there, and it's like, what's how did it make it there? What's the journey in which it traveled to the plate? Like all that other stuff, and like the thing that I love most about hunting, and I, I think a lot of people when you start talking them talking to them from the food aspect, and everybody's got many many different reasons as to why they got into hunting, or you know. Uh, I think a lot about myself, like how I got into hunting. It, it was a thing. My family did it. We did it for as, a, as an aspect of food. And it's like, I think about, well, you know, would six-year-old Justin have done that, you know, if he was in another place? Or would 21 or 22-year-old Justin did that whenever he moved off to college and was like, I think I want to try hunting. You know, I want to start my own hunt club. Um, but, uh, as it goes by, I, I enjoy hearing, I enjoy hearing that because it makes me happy to see sort of that connect for food and, and 
I think it's really a, a responsible way to eat. It's up there, like, you know, grow my own vegetables, eat sustainable fish, whether, you know, caught by me or caught by uh, someone who sustainably fishes. Uh, you know, I, I, eat, I eat other types of meat, too, you know, domestically raised meat, but I'm very, very strict about who it comes from and, and the way in which they're raising the animal, so I don't get into those situations of, like, Hey, there, there is factory farming going on. I mean, it's a common practice. We know that, uh, but I I don't want to support that. So I don't want to vote with my dollar in that, in that way. Um, and then there's hunting, you know, uh, Corey and I have had this conversation. We spent a whole podcast episode on it where we talked about sort of hunting as a sport. And, you know, I, I let, I let it loose that, you know, the, the adventure for hunting is as much of a motivator as it is for the food, but for me, it's the food primarily over that. And, and, uh, I think it always will be. So it's, it's cool to hear that. So had any of you guys tried game meat before you decided to, to start hunting? Oh yeah. Uh, one of my dad's friends, dads used to do a lot of hunting in (laughs) the six degrees of separation that we have to have to uh, get to game meat when you grow up in the burbs here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He was retired from the air force. So he did a lot of hunting up in Washington state. Okay. So he sent us moose sausage once. So moose are kind of a big thing to get in Washington state because you can only get one in your lifetime. Yeah. And that was some of the best sausage I've ever had, to be completely blunt. <laughs> I don't know if it was because of the moose or because of the sausage, but either way, it was the best I've ever had. Nice. Bar none. And I, I, one of my other dad's friends... Sorry, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. One of my <laughs> other dad's friends used to hunt ducks, so sometimes he'd send us like ducks that he personally killed. And... That was always an interesting experience to eat because we had to watch for the shotgun pellets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Better than hair in your food. Avoid, yeah, want to avoid trips to the uh, to the ER not eating pellets. Yes, chew slowly. <laughs> That's all I can say about that. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. So I was I was thinking about this. Maybe they should make an invention. You know, almost like a magnet, uh, a metal detector. I don't know if it would work with steel shot or with lead, but. Uh, like a way to detect it's a million dollar idea right there you just gotta <laughs> scan your food it's gotta be, be able careful to careful telling the enterprising pen students about your million dollar idea <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I i have a great marketing platform guys <laughs> target audience oh, man, this podcast this is paying dividends already this is great <laughs> um so what what about the other two uh, as far as introduction to game food? I guess uh, the first time I got to see a game just being prepared was probably like the hindquarter of a deer that was just sitting there in an apartment as we were all eating venison. And it was just like, wow, you know, this is – and, you know, I've seen, you know, meat being prepared at butchers and this, that. But like this was clearly wild caught. This was clearly being mm-hmm. prepped right here in the apartment, not in the supermarket you know, we were having something that was out there that one of the people there had gotten and we were able to enjoy it. And, you know, I think that was it again, the new experience aspect of it was uh, was wonderful, you know, and uh, it's something that, you know, I think helped me want to pursue that where, you know, it kept moving that up on my list of things that I wanted to do to actually materialize it rather than uh, just being on the list. <laughs> 
Nice. Yeah, that's a that's that's a solid move for sure. And I had kind of talked with the guys on the phone before the call about this, but I feel like it's a story that I should share. Um, is I was doing a a cross my maybe not my first introduction to game, but definitely my best introduction to game was um, I was doing a a bike ride um, cross country actually, and I was in Louisiana, and there was this like little stand stop set up on the side of the road, and we stopped by. Um, and they had this alligator jambalaya and I had never had, you know, alligator ever before. And they had a little picture sitting, you know, on the stand, on the, on the table next to the jambalaya. And it's this big giant, um, alligator with this guy standing there next to it, looking all, you know, happy and stuff. And he started telling me the story that, you know, this, this gator had wandered into their like lake or whatever on their property and stuff. Um, and he's like, and this is how I got it. So I went to a tree and I uh, strung up this strung up this chicken, hanging it up right over the water. And I sat there in a in a folding chair and waited for him to poke his head out. And uh, then they had more alligator than they knew what to do with, so that they were you know handing out their jambalaya on the side of the road. And yeah, really interesting like texture and flavor, kind of like between fish and chicken that I had yep. never really experienced yeah. before. You know, um, I, I kin it a lot to uh so like frog legs, I think is probably I mean it makes sense being a reptile and, and amphibian and living in that space. But yeah. Interesting mm-hmm. texture is a great uh a great way to describe it. <laughs> but yeah. The food abounds out there. It's not just, you know, chicken and chicken and beef. It's good though. That's a good uh, a good opportunity to uh, I, I like the introduction story for sure. That's cool. <laughs> Adventurous. Um, what was I going to say? I had, I had one more question. So, um, man, you guys all brought some cool stories. I like it. With that said, all right, so now let's fast forward. Uh, lay, lay the foundation for me of, of the creation of the hunting club. A big part of it was that I wanted to combine my shooting from undergraduate years before I came to Penn with an ability to like hunt game in Pennsylvania because I knew that Pennsylvania was one of the best states to do hunting in. They have a lot of deer, a lot of hunters, and pretty generous seasons relative to most states in the country. And I believe I approached Kristoff and a few other people concerning whether or not they want to go shooting with the intention of eventually harvesting their own meat. Uh, is this how you remember Kristoff? Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was kind of stepwise. It was like, hey, know how to use a gun real well before you get out into the woods and try to harvest something. <laughs> so I guess I should have asked this question before, but like, how, how did you guys all know each other prior to the, to, to the hunting club? Oh, uh, we're all students. We're all graduate students at the University of Pennsylvania, and we're all within the same program. So we're all part of the gene therapy and vaccines program here. Oh, nice. Yep. So yeah. <laughs> guys are in demand. Technically Alex and Christoph are technically like one year above me in terms of the PhD level. I'm a okay. fourth year PhD. It all Some gets the blurry start... the longer it goes on, for sure. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> the memory starts fading after like a year or so, so my my memory on the details are pretty foggy at this point. Yeah, I think no, I got no worries. guys best uh, in the mountains while like skiing and snowboarding as part of the uh, program when we got out there. So I think that was yeah, uh, pretty much pretty much everyone who currently is out shooting with us all is not even just within Penn, our sub program and then our 
like sub sub program of gene therapy and vaccines. Uh, pretty much, I guess pretty much everyone who's going out there has all been just like word of mouth people who have been interested. And we expect there'd be, you know, a, a lot more interest at the university. But even just within our sub program, there were a lot of people who are interested in learning how to shoot and learning how to hunt and um, looking looking for some mentorship and some experience and stuff out there. So yes, I can definitely say that even outside of our sub program, there is quite a bit of interest just from the people I talk with. So even among so, the people who, yeah. So how many, sorry, how many people are, are total involved in, in the club? At the moment, I believe it's between eight to 10, depending okay. on regularity as well as availability. We're all, we're all, or most of us are graduate students, so we're kind of busy. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, our own schedules. that's for sh- yeah, that's solid. Yep. Um, and you guys have like a, do you guys play the role of your own mentors or do you, have you sought out a mentor? You don't have to name them, just uh, anybody. Or uh, We've done both. So okay. the coronavirus epidemic has made finding mentorship difficult in general. Yeah. So mm-hmm. a lot of what we've done is look through different guides to hunting mm-hmm. uh, and try to apply them ourselves to what we see in the wild. Nice. So we look through some books or like Google on like how to identify deer scat or what's the best way to set up a blind or how to use a tree stand or even just like how to set up downwind of a particular valley or identify horseshoes or bottlenecks for deer. It's pretty solid. And a lot of of this stuff, yeah, we have uh, had a lot of error and a lot of trial. I think that's that's pretty normal no matter how long you've been yeah. hunting. There's a lot of trial yep. and a lot of error. Yeah, so just take squirrels, for example. Like, we go to Penn campus, we see squirrels, and the squirrels positively demand to be fed. There have been, like, reports of squirrel attacks on students because they're so aggressive. But when you go into the woods, like, we thought that hitting squirrels in the woods would be just as easy as finding them on campus. And they were pretty easy to find up until the day that squirrel season rolled around. About an hour into squirrel season, they were all mysteriously vanished into the face, off the face of the earth. You see one a hundred yards away, you think like, not today. And dart for the nearest hole in the tree. <laughs> it was a learning experience to be sure. Uh, yeah, we went. Uh, we were in the forest, and while we were hunting, then we we went into the into town during the day, and these squirrels are practically like running across our shoes while we're there. Then back into the forest, then, you know, you'd see one at 100 yards. And, you know, like you said, it'd be scurrying off already. <laughs> they know, man. It's like a yeah. sixth sense. They're like, all right, time to move out of the woods and go be a city squirrel. It makes me think. So, I, I like I said earlier, I went to University of New Orleans uh, for my undergrad. And it was, uh, they, they had squirrels. So, we're in, like, metro New Orleans uh, up on the north side by the lake. But there's still, like, squirrels that kind of live all all around new orleans um and they would have they would go and they would dig food out of the trash cans on campus and i remember walking to class one day and like this squirrel uh like cutting me off so much it like startled me jumps in the trash can and i like glance over and he starts barking at me and then in his little paw which he then puts in his mouth is a chicken wing and i like a fried (laughs) chicken wing i was like kind of squirrels are we breeding here <laughs> yeah i just i had a squirrel at my apartment break into a cardboard box that had some gear from rei and it went after the beef jerky oh yeah i was kind of mad about that oh man you gotta start making squirrel proof canisters like bear canisters yeah 
See, I'm giving you guys ideas now. <laughs> that one may be hard. That one may be that one may be harder to market though. <laughs> cool. So then, uh, as as you sort of uh, laid the foundation for the hunting club, uh, you guys run into some hiccups, and that's kind of largely what we're here to talk about. Um, what sort of uh if you could paint the picture like what what happened as you were going through the establishment of the club and and presenting to the university you know it's it's hard to know exactly what anyone is thinking that was involved in this but you know what we do know is that over a year ago we finally put everything together and we applied to become a club and we waited and there was reasons for it. People said, oh, you know, the coronavirus now came about. There's delays for this reason, that reason. And so we waited. Um, but during that time, we watched other clubs get approved. You know, we saw that, you know, we were still on the back burner and, you know, people placed us there without really thinking that, you know, we'd, we'd necessarily need to move forward, it seems. And as we watched other clubs that need this sort of risk evaluation be approved, we questioned why. And so we sent out emails, we contacted people, we tried to, you know, cross our T's, dot our I's, make sure we did everything that was necessary, but the delays continued. Um, so we've tried to have a seat at the table. You know, we want to be able to have the same rights as all the other clubs uh, that are being approved currently at the university. You know, we've watched them go through their yearly renewal while we've been waiting to just get our first sort of foot in the door for existence. And I think, you know, it's really hurt any sort of recruitment and getting people in. And, you know, we were talking about how we have people within the club who are close to us that we know through our programs and otherwise. And we'd really love to branch out to university as a whole. Uh, and we look at other schools, you know, even other Ivy Leagues, Harvard and Yale has gun teams, you know, and we're not even asking to shoot competitively. It's one of the things that has been brought up by the university. Well, we would need to evaluate this. Well, no, you know, we're just asking to be able to be an archery shooting and hunting club, you know, with a focus on being able to harvest our own meat. Uh, Penn State has a rifle club here in Pennsylvania. Um, and even Penn right here at the University of Pennsylvania, there was there was a gun club here in the past that kind of fizzled out. And so with all that precedence, we think that we'd already be officially recognized. And yet we're not, you know, this isn't new what we're doing. Um, this is something that other universities do. This is something that our school has done in part. And we're wondering, you know, why the holdup? And after a year passed, it really didn't make sense anymore. And we thought, well, maybe we can move this along somehow. And we're waiting to just sit down with people, talk it out, and see what we need to do so that we can move forward. I'm, I'm personally going to graduate in two months, you know? I wanted to be able to hand this off to somebody else that was interested in this, that really got to experience the club as a whole. And So I guess my one big question is uh, uh, what's the major or what are the benefits to, to having your group established as a club? You know, why not – why go through the university or, you know, not the local sporting goods store and be like, Hey man, can I borrow your back room? And I got some friends and we want to talk about hunting and, and, you know, shooting like what we wanted to bring the broader community together here. And we got to do that to some extent, you know, unofficially before we thought of making the club, 
within our group. But, you know, to really branch out and bring people of like mind together, exchange ideas and be able to get out there and learn from people and teach them what you've learned so far. You know, you want to be able to have that sort of community. And Mm -hmm. as people that spend the majority of our time within the university working there, you know, it'd be nice to also have, you know, these hobbies expand in a way that you can bring everyone else around you into it. And that's what we really yeah. wanted. We wanted a chance for that. I guess the uh, one of the plus sides is having it at having a, a organization point at the university, so you're not having to go to the local sporting goods store and you know, maybe you'll maybe you'll you know meet somebody on your way to class or lab or whatever and say, hey man, like come check out come check out my hunting club. Yeah, yeah, and it's a great hobby, and uh, I think it's a uh, you know when you bring someone in to shoot for the first time and it's it's an experience and i think you know it's a great way uh to bond outside of you know just sitting at the university you get to really get out there so have they is the university or anyone cited any like major concerns as to why uh why they haven't approved it so they did say that the office of uh, risk management needs to evaluate it which we understood uh and we waited on but in when they said that, you know, other concerns take precedence um, due to the coronavirus and otherwise, we wondered why these other clubs were getting approved while ours continues to wait over a year. We just thought that was unnecessary and that we should have some sort of priority here after a year to be looked at. And, you know, we're willing to do things, we're planning to do things in a very safe, reasonable way. And we could share all these ideas with anyone who asks. We're more than happy to. We've thought about this probably much more than anyone else at the university has. <laughs> so, you know, we're ready to discuss it. And we're in, we invite dialogue uh, instead of just sort of these never-ending stalls. Yeah, the one big catalyst that really drove us to seek outside help was when the surfing club got approved over the last year. Wait, the surfing club? Like Yes. On the waves that you have yeah. in Pennsylvania. So because like we thought there's no way that risk management didn't see this club. And their mission very clearly states that they want to do recreational surfing when this coronavirus epidemic is over. As well as competitive sort of surfing, which we never asked for. We never asked for competition. And we're wondering like why is risk management evaluating clubs such as this while ours continues to sit on the back burner? Hmm. And they never really got back to us with a straightforward answer that had any clear criteria as to when our club would get involved, get evaluated. And as someone who has hung ten on the on the waves of the New Jersey shore, um, which is something that you can do, and yeah, I think I've, the, I've done I think it too. Club, <laughs> that's good. Um, yeah, it's you know there's safety concerns, sure, for for using firearms, and we we we've thought a lot about it. You know, as Chris and Christoph have mentioned. Um, but yeah, seeing seeing an analogous club that would have to go through the same risk management kind of stuff get approved while we're on the back burner, it just feels a bit like a knee-jerk reaction to, you know, archery shooting and hunting, which obviously the three of us can attest is not a super common activity among, you know, a lot of people uh, who, you know, are here, or college students and things at present, I guess. Um, but there, you know, there is interest out there and we're really interested in kind of like spreading it um, and we think there's a lot of other people who'd be interested as well. Absolutely. Well, like, I mean, you'd be surprised. And, there are quite and, a few Penn students who do do hunting on the down low. Yeah, I mean, Pennsylvania being, what, the number two uh, state 
in yep, the U.S. For, for, for deer hunting, right? Yep. Yeah, or I think hunting. we're just, just shy of a million hunters in Pennsylvania. Yes, I believe that it was like 400,000 deer taken this year, according to the most recent PGC comments. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of deer. Um, so I guess how have how have you received or not received support from from the local the local hunting community o- over this any at all i i think the the reaching out to fire has been really useful we've actually had you know obviously you guys you know saw the article um and reached out to like spread some you know awareness and everything like that um we've had a couple people you know get in contact and offer some support with you know, a bit more hunting experience than we have, um, which is obviously very important for us as we're, as we're learning all this. Um, so even just, you know, having that article out there has been really beneficial for us and getting some, some unofficial resources and, and advice from, uh, other people in the hunting community. Nice. That's, that's good. And, uh, we mentioned like NRA and, and, uh, the, those folks there and, so are you seeing any traction uh, as other or hearing any any voice back from, from the university o- over this as, as more people sort of uh, join on your side? As of the moment, no. But it's only been a week or two, so I'm assuming the university has to evaluate its own proper response to what they're hearing as yeah. of, or what they're not hearing. But we're not sitting on the university's like table, so we can't say anything for sure concerning what the university is or is not thinking at the moment. That's fair. That's fair. But that's the perfect segue. So what would you say if you were sitting across the table from the university? Like if you had to give your, your elevator pitch, like what, what would be uh, your pitch? I think that what we would stress is that we understand the university has concerns when it comes to the safety of both its students as well as the liability to the university itself. Like, there are real risks, don't get me wrong. Hunting does have its own dangers. But we'd also like to stress that these are risks that we have thought through, and there are precedents. Like, hunting accidents are, in general, rare in Pennsylvania. I believe that there are some years recently where nobody died during deer season from shooting accidents. But there are some years where there are fatalities. And of the hunting accidents that we could think of, we thought of two big concerns that we as a club would have to deal with. So the first is not something that most people outside of the hunting community would think of. It's tree stands. Mm-hmm. As oh, most those tree know, stands. Yeah, as most others know, <laughs> it's not the gunshots <laughs> that kill you in the woods. It's the tree stands. <laughs> like, by far, the most common cause of injuries and fatalities in hunting is that someone goes up a tree stand, fails to clip in, and falls and breaks something. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. all every year. Yep. So we were juggling a couple ideas, and one of the ideas we were thinking about was either just having mandatory tree stand safety for anyone who wants to use them, learn how to use a tree stand harness, learn how to attach a strap, and all those other fun things that you have to learn. Or we could just ban tree stands entirely and get rid of that problem. Like, these are all just ideas. Yeah, those are a good approach. You could even, yep. I'm sure, reach out to, uh, you know, there's one of several companies that produce those harnesses, and I'm sure they'd be gra- glad to support the, the movement, and especially when you're introducing new hunters in, and maybe be like, hey, you join our club, you want to hunt from a tree stand, like, we'll provide you with a, a, a free harness, like you're kind of mitigating 
mitigating yeah. those factors. That's good, though. Yeah, but <laughs> since we're not registered, we can't really do fundraising. Like, we ah, can't really invite. There we go. We can't, ex- <laughs> we can't invite experts in and then like compensate them. Yeah, which we would love to do. Like, do it taking time off of off of their day in exchange for nothing seems kind of low for me. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, all right, but, going 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 yeah, back going, to yeah. The other thing that people do think about a lot when it comes to hunting is shooting accidents. Mm-hmm. So the Pennsylvania Game Commission actually releases a list and tabulation of the shooting accidents that happen every year. And if you go back the last five years or so, you'll see that shooting accidents can be broadly divided into two categories. The first is accidental discharge. And the second is when the hunter steps into the line of fire. So these two categories make up the vast majority, the bulk of shooting accidents that happen in Pennsylvania State. So as to these, we can we thought of a few ideas that could possibly help with this. The first is pretty simple: no alcohol in the club. Period. Yes, Some, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although more experienced hunters may be able to do this, we thought that as a club we might stick with having no loaded guns or crossbows when moving. You get to the tree stand or blind. Then you load your rifle or shotgun or whatever, and then you step into the blind. Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's a pretty yep. that's a that's a very safe practice that I, I think a lot of people uh, should should uh, abide by. Yep, and I think that especially for new hunters, that'd be the safest way to go it, about it because someone could accidentally like drop drop their rifle or point it at someone when moving. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it it happens, you know. Uh, unfortunately very it's a very common thing yep so. hmm. and I like, think, should, mm-hmm. yeah shooting accidents are rare but that does seem to be a very common thing among shooting accidents uh one of the more obvious ones was that we could wear blaze orange for all big game hunting seasons even those that don't require it like turkey it would make some forms of hunting very difficult but at the same time it would be the safest way to go about it it's just something that we really need to do. It's something that we talk with the university about, but it's something that we're willing to like just have a conversation with. And blaze orange when hiking or going to the gun range also seems a good idea. Like a good idea. We said, yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Alex. It's funny. We're always yeah. We've we've always got our orange on. Like every possible you know opportunity. We're at the gun range and like you can spot us from a mile away. Everybody else is there with their you know whatever, normal street clothes and things like that. And we're like, hey, we're the Orange Crew, here to be safe. <laughs> and we've thought a lot about it, you know? We've, we've, we've thought a lot about safety. We've, yep. you know, we've, we, we've uh, you know, Chris has enumerated all the, the, the club policies that we're oh, interested no. in. I'm barely getting started here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that's... <laughs> yeah, like, to, to go more about it, like, like, if you want to care about the health and safety aspects towards, like, the students... You could like ban ban leaded ammunition. Like this is a big problem. Mm-hmm. If you have leaded ammunition, that breaks into chunks when it hits deer at high velocities. So we could eliminate that by, by using monolithic bullets made of copper or brass, and use steel shot. Like there's a bunch of different things that we can think about. And the one thing that really disappoints me is that the university simply hasn't mm-hmm. sat across from the table with us. Like we've done a lot of thinking into this mm-hmm. and I'm very disappointed that we haven't been able to share these ideas with the university and they haven't given us the opportunity to share these ideas with them. Right. So is that, has that then led to sort of uh, the creation of your relationship with, with fire? Yes. I think that's part of it because when it comes to it, like 
I believe that we as a club would benefit from the university reviewing our safety policies as well because we don't want people to die on our hands. No. Like we don't want we don't <laughs> want to <laughs> do that. Bunch of undergrads out there in the woods trying yep. to sneak their flasks in, we gotta you yep. know and, <laughs> and like personally, like as the leader of this club, like I would love if no one got hurt in the woods. And we think that having a conversation with the university would help towards this. Yeah. And it's just very frustrating that they've refused to talk about it at all. It's just, yeah, the first step of mitigation is to sit down and have the conversation of like, hey, like, what can we mitigate or what can we, but, you know, them not telling you uh, a yes or a no or a, a maybe can, I'm sure, is is becoming more and more frustrating as time drags on. Yes, the um, silent treatment is uh, not very fun and it's not very safe. It's months between email replies and like exchanges or sometimes no replies at all in a lot of cases. I mean, since we started getting fire involved, we got a little bit more response, I think. Um, at least replying to an email that said no, but uh, I don't know, at, at least got them to reply to an email. So we've been in limbo for, for a really long time and um, we don't really think there's any valid reason for it uh at this point over a year since we've since we've tried to start our club so we're, ho we're hoping they'll take a close look at us you know because some of the things they're coming back with us with like this competition shooting thing that's not even part of our club it just shows that you know they haven't even they haven't even looked what we're trying to do and they're just dismissing it out of hand at times and it's just like well you know we're working at this here and we really want to bring you to the table and we really want this club to exist and we want to make something that we think will really enrich the community here at the university and you know getting people's ear so that we have this opportunity has uh, been a challenge but i think you know progress is good yep and when it comes to it like we're not the first people at penn who have ever hunted and we will definitely not be the last. But I do believe that when it comes to the people in leadership, I mean, we have someone who's about to become a licensed physician, like as part as vice president. And I write hunting safety memos for fun for pen science policy and diplomacy. So it's really hard for me to imagine people who are more focused on safety than us. And I think that if the university just lets us graduate and nothing gets done, someone else will take up this cause in terms of like trying to, trying to form a club and they might not have the same prerequisite experiences that we have had. Yeah. So I don't understand like why the university believes that the safe thing to do is not talk at all. Yeah. Cause it's uh, avoiding it's not going to make it go away. You know, if, if that's a, I don't know, if, not saying that that is the strategy, but if that is one, it's like, Someone else is going to take up the cause after we leave. Like we're graduating, but it, you know the the formation of the club is is not dissipating. Yes, as elementary as an elementary school student, like I thought that like if you hide underneath a blanket, they couldn't see you. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty much the same principle here. That's <laughs> <laughs> fair. So, uh, what what can we do? What what can the the hunting community do to to better support you uh, in your your fight for this? I think that the current outreach towards us in terms of knowledge as well as experience has been great from the hunting, com hunting community at large. Because once again, we're pretty new to this whole hunting thing. And quite frankly, we're not very good at shooting either. 
Like <laughs> I'm not I'm terrible at shooting. There are most of the club can outshoot me. I was a little frustrated at the last range day. It's getting better. It's getting better. Yeah, he it was is. he was learning how to shoot like twenty gauge slugs and as <laughs> anyone who's tried to shoot the twenty gauge slug will know it's painful. So yes. we're trying to get rid of a flinch by randomly inserting slugs into the Hand in the muzzle loader. <laughs> oh god, <Right>. muzzle loaders. <laughs> oh yeah. But in terms of what viewers could do, I think that the most important thing they could do is refer anyone who is affiliated with Penn and is interested in hunting to us. This could be anyone affiliated with Penn, like postdocs, professors, undergraduates, graduate students, law students, medical students. It really doesn't matter. Our club email is ashup.club at gmail.com. A-S-H-U-P dot C-L-U-B at gmail.com. Because I think that having support as a group is probably the best way to go in terms of showing that this idea, as well as hunting in general and shooting, is popular and deserves its own representation when it comes to university when it comes to university at large so i was wondering if you had any ideas concerning this because you have more experience in this than we do your media Um, platform media platform here we go (laughs) (laughs) um no i i think sorry my cord got caught here um I, i think probably one of the biggest things is you know uh I think you're on the right track with getting others involved, like Fire, uh, NRA, and s- some external organizations. I was thinking as we were chatting, I was like, uh, maybe backcountry's hunter and anglers, maybe a good organization. They have a collegiate program uh, where they do their own individual chapters, of BHA. Uh, so that that might be another good resource to reach out to. Um, thinking. Otherwise, too, is just trying to, to garner more interest and more support at your, your local university. I'm sure these aren't new ideas. Uh, push, you know, push the hunting for food. You guys all tell a great, great story when it comes to that. And, you know, the, the shooting, there's been a lot of statistics proven that, you know, people, people that are anti-hunting or people who are not familiar with hunters, or it's more easy for them to to swallow the idea of hunting when they're like, Oh, well, what about hunting for food? People are like, Oh yeah, that, well, you know, that's okay. Like they're going out there. They're not just shooting for trophy or shooting for recreation. Like it's a, it's a process. And a lot of hunters know that, you know, you practice throughout the year and you, you hone your skills and you move forward with that. Uh, the end result being, all right, we're going to go out on this adventure. We're going to go hunt and then we're going to come back and we're going to eat it. Or, you know, I'm supplying meat for my family for the year, or, you know, uh, countless other stories. And that seems exactly what you guys are doing with the attention of like, hey, we're new hunters inviting other new hunters or anybody who has an interest in hunting, no matter your experience level, to come to fellowship with us to you know, learn more about hunting and we want to facilitate this where a way where we can get uh, subject matter experts, where we can get mentors, where we can get other individuals who have had experience in this field of, you know, shooting, of archery, of, you know, fishing, of whatever hunting, whatever outdoor activities associated with it. We want to bring those in. So one, we can do that in a more knowledgeable manner, but we can do that in a more safe manner too. 
And I, I, I think uh, just you guys are on the right track, and it, it's very unfortunate that it's it's going the way that it's going. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know, man. It's a it's a bummer. And we really appreciate you having us on the show here and helping us get the word out and everything. You know, as I as we're getting more a bit more publicity and bringing a bit more attention to this, there have been exactly as you said those you know. Uh, people with hunting experience reaching out and offering to, you know, some support and some mentorship and things like that. Um, so that's all, that's all been really good. And yeah, if you just, if anybody, you know, is interested in talking with us, um, to just get in contact through our email at ashup.club uh, yep. at gmail.com. We'll throw that in the show notes too. So people can have a direct connection with it. Um, that was going to actually be my next question, but go go ahead, Chris. And don't get me wrong, like although it's been frustrating with the university administration, this has been a blast. Like sometimes literally, sometimes not. But <laughs> learning how to do all of this and failing and succeeding has been completely novel for me, and it's been a lot of fun. Nice. Yep. We also found some chicken in the woods last <laughs> Pretty, season. Yeah. Which is great. Foraging, man. We could go on about that. stuff. <laughs> Just look for the blaze orange mushroom. When we actually get some stuff out there, we'll come back and tell you how we cooked it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, go ahead, Corey. You had a comment. It's just getting close to the wild ramp season mm-hmm. in PA. So those are those are good. Keep keep an eye out. I don't know how how prevalent they are out in the eastern side of the state, but uh, we got got them pretty, quite a bit of them up here. What about morals? I think they come out sometime in March or April, right? So I've, I've never actually found one. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> this might be more difficult than I thought. <laughs> that story, that should be our tagline. No. <laughs> this might be more difficult than I'm gonna I thought. I'm going to make a hunting club. Oh, this, this, might be more, this might be more difficult than I thought. You may have just, got a, you just the, coined our the, episode title. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's the title of the episode. Um, oh, we've got a club well, motto, is, too. There you go. Put it on those blaze orange t-shirts. Nice. <laughs> um, but no, no, I think it, it's solid. So this is sort of as, as we ramp down here, because the, the, the timer is ticking down ever close to the end. Uh, we, we always give everybody the opportunity to sort of do a, a last comment or a last thought or, a, you know, an alibi or whatever uh, at the end. So being that you guys are all the guests, I'll, I'll start sort of started off and, and we'll open that up. So Christoph, if you got a last thought for us or anything, yeah, please shoot you know, away. Final thought for me is just telling everyone out there, you know, if they know someone at the University of Pennsylvania or if someone there is listening right now and you're interested in archery shooting and hunting here, you know, reach out to us. Get in touch. We'd love to learn from you. If you know nothing, we'd love to teach you the little we do know. You know? <laughs> It's, uh, it's the idea behind this organization to be able to bring people together that want to share in this. So we'd love to grow and we'd love to, you know, begin to exist really so that we can grow. And, uh, I think a good step there is by showing there's, there's a, there's a number of people that are glad to join on board. Nice. Awesome. Chris, what you got for us? 
two weeks ago, I was hoping someone would rent tag season. We were sitting at a farm. I was just watching all the deer go by on other farms about a kilometer away with a spotting scope. We didn't see any deer at our farm, so we packed up, we headed back to the car, and we drove past the farm, and we saw the herd we were looking for just start in front of the car. Hunting can be frustrating, but it's also a lot of fun, and I'm really excited to go back and to that farm again this season. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Alex, yeah. last thought. Yeah, I, uh, I'm just, as somebody who, you know, didn't do a ton of hunting or shooting and stuff growing up, uh, outside of what I mentioned before, I've just really appreciated, you know, the small group of people that we've, we've had and who've been able to go out and enjoy, you know, being shooting enthusiasts and stuff like that, who've provided all the, all kinds of technical information and things that I never even considered or thought about, you know, we're part of the hunt, we're part of, you know, your guns that you use for the game that you're going after, for the, the scouting trips and getting real excited when you see deer poop sitting someplace. <laughs> and, you know, all this stuff that has been this like totally, you know, new experience to me that's been really nothing but positive. And, you know, hanging out with the Chris's here and on all those trips. Um, it's just been really great. And I, I, I know a lot of people, you know, are looking for those kind of experiences and stuff at the university. So I'm just hoping that we can get our club together and be able to offer some more of that experience, like what I've enjoyed to, uh, to everybody else in the community. Solid. All right, Corey, last thought. I, I love your guys' initiative in, in starting this club. And, and I love the fact that when you were met with some adversity or pushback that you didn't just, you know, let it die you continue to fight and you're continuing to fight and i i think that's very admirable um and i i just want to tell you each and every one of you that you you can always reach out to me or justin for we might not know what to do but we'll tell you what not to do but so <laughs> just you all you all <laughs> you always have a resource in us so don't be afraid to to shoot us an email or or anything so um, it was great yeah. talking to you guys. I, 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 um, you guys have put a lot of thought in this club, and, and I hope I hope it works out. I, 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 I'm guessing there's going to be a fight ahead of you, but I hope it works out. I hope I hope it can get a, your club can get established and it, and it stays uh, at the University of Penn for a long time. But thank thank you for for calling in. Thank you for sitting and talking to us, and and uh, good luck. Thank you. It's been our pleasure. Yeah, I yeah, think thanks so. Thanks very much. I I think so for sort of my last thought. Like, uh, bravo to y'all for even for even starting it and and having the idea. Uh, I know for a lot of people out there, ideas, good ideas often go unacted upon. So, I think it's good, especially you know, just like Corey mentioned when when you start to face a little bit of pushback or a lack of conversation or anything like. Uh, it, it's easy just to keep going. I mean, you guys are graduate PhD, way way up in the education system. Like, you guys got other stuff on your plates too, but it shows through your passion uh, for hunting uh, and the shooting sports that it, it it shows and it shines and it's good. Uh, I'm I'm happy to see individuals such as yourself come into the hunting community and to really grasp uh you know the food and the camaraderie and, and the adventure and, and all the things that go with it and I, I think you guys are representing it pretty well uh you know 
based on the 20 minutes I've known you, stand-up guys. <laughs> no, uh, I, I wish you all the best. I, I hope that you don't have a fight ahead of you. I hope that, that the university realizes the validity of, of, of the club and, and your motives, and, and they do invite you in for a conversation to address any issues they have. Or tomorrow they just stamp it approved and, and you guys are able to begin and not have to do it at all so uh, oh I, I hope they don't do that I'd still have a couple of management there <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah uh, no we're we're here for you and I, I think uh, the majority of our listeners and community is definitely huge and supportive of will will be huge and supportive of this uh it's one thing, you know, we have hunting as a lifestyle and as a, a foundational right to us. And I think it's something that should be protected and, and catered to and enjoyed by all those that want to get into it uh, through whatever means. So uh, with that, I say keep up with the fight. We're here for you if you need us. And uh, for everybody out there, uh, shoot these guys an email if you've got questions or, or want to talk with them more or show support in any way. Uh, we'll have the email over in the show notes and thanks for listening again to the episode. All our show notes are online just as always and head over to social media. Make sure you're following Harvesting Nature. We'll try to stay up with these guys and, and make sure we're getting you the story on what's happening uh, up at Penn with the with the archery shooting and hunting club. And uh, as always, punch that five star button. Tell us what we're doing wrong or you know, tell us what we're doing right. And we thank everyone. Have a good night.